Dog Training Digital presents the eCollars Podcast with Robin McFarlane and Steve Snell. All right. Today we are talking about remote training collars. Robin, why is a big question. Why would you use a remote training collar on a dog? Why should you use a remote training collar on a dog? Ooh, why would I and why should I? Are two yes. good, really good questions. So we're going to dig into those, I think, separately. And I'm going to throw this back at you. So get ready. Okay. So from my perspective, and I think it's always important for people to understand when you're talking to a trainer or whoever you're talking to, they have an opinion, but their opinion is coming through a certain lens. What lens are they looking through? And I'm always looking through things, the lens of a pet dog trainer, right? I work with pet dog owners. So when I got into it way back, 1999, 2000, the number one reason was off-leash control, right? People are coming to me and they're like, yeah, my dog's great in the house. He listens really well. He's doing well on his walks. All of our training's going great. But when I take that leash off and I want to go out hiking, I want to go out Every once in a while, he's going to take off after a deer. He's going to take off after a squirrel, that kind of thing. And so off-leash control was number one thing that people were looking for. That's the big reason that I dug into it when I did early in my career. So you just can't, you know what I mean? You can't beat it. There is absolutely no other way to get the security and the reliability other than to train with a remote collar. Whatever breed you have, that's the number one reason. So... That's my number one. And I'm going to give that back to you, Steve, because you're in the gun dog world and your thought on it. So we got into remote training collars early 1980. We were primarily using them on hunting dogs and we were hunting in Mississippi and we were quail hunting and we were using Britneys, which Britneys are Lightly classified as versatile dogs. They're not quite as hardcore versatile as some of the breeds, but they're a breed that you can hunt fur and feathers with. And at that time, the quail numbers were declining rapidly and the deer numbers were growing rapidly. And you'd go out and you'd spend a lot of time on the ground and dogs are going to hunt. They're going to hunt whatever's available to them. And so there were a lot more deer than there were anything else. And so dogs started running deer. And this is back in the days before we had any sort of tracking capabilities. So stopping a dog from chasing off game was a big deal. And there was really, there's some pretty brutal ways that it was done in the past, but a remote training collar, that was really the trick to it. It was a way to stop a dog from chasing dangerous things. And so that's how we got into it. So, so a very similar conceptually in that it, that it was for off leash control. Now. The collars of the 1980s, you couldn't, they weren't quite as subtle as what we have today. But if you wanted to stop something from running off game, that was a great way to do it. It's kind of the same way in stopping a dog from chasing a car. It's a, it's an aversive, it makes something that they're doing that's either instinctual or fun, and it takes some of the fun out of it. And so I really don't know of another way to do that with a high drive dog. And so that for us, that's how we approached it. Now I came into the training aspect of it later, probably in the early 2000s. And I started to see how you could actually train with collars because of the changes in stimulation. So, but for us, it was the same way. It was for off-leash, it was for off-leash, stopping bad habits off-leash. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's something we're gonna wanna dig into too, the difference between how it was then and what we've advanced oh, yeah. and how we train differently because the technology has obviously advanced. Talking about high drive dogs and talking about really don't know how else to do it. And that was, again, what I was seeing. It was one thing to have a 
fairly biddable dog and be able to get a reliable recall. But when people, honestly, if they walked in the door of my place and they brought in one of the Nordic breed and one of the goals they wanted was to be off leash, I'm like, man, I can't guarantee that. I just can't promise it unless you want to use this tool. And then we can get there and it's not going to take that long. So game changer. And then the, the interesting thing that happened for me over time is the more I dug into it, the more I learned how to train with this thing, the more I found that it wasn't just that invisible leash. It wasn't just having that off leash control. It was about being able to do things more efficiently, more easily, more quickly to get some results. I mean, the reality is the difference between pressure and no pressure is so black and white to the dog that everything happened faster. And that meant reliability happened faster. So now just things like, okay, you want to have a house party and you want people over and your dog is struggling just because they're happy and they want to jump all over everybody. It was a way to get reliability to keep him on his place or just to stop the jumping so he's not knocking over the kids and things like that. Again, time evolves. I dig into it more and more. One of the things that I came to after a couple of years was it was really, and this was, in my opinion, it is absolutely the best tool to use with a dog that's anxious or has anxiety issues. And that may be startling for some people to hear, but when you learn to train with it as we're doing nowadays, and you're using it simply as a comparison, black versus white, hot versus cold, on versus off, man, you can communicate with the dog with so much subtlety. There's no more yelling. There's no more frustration. There's no more raising your voice. There's no yanking on a leash. It's magic in many ways. They have not real magic, obviously, but it's magic in many ways. How remarkable. It's as if those anxious dogs turn around and go, oh, my gosh, thank you. Somebody's communicating with me in a way that I can completely understand. So. So that's that's an interesting and I've always felt that it is that that uh, it's a communication tool more than anything else. And I don't know if everyone sees that because they think that it's a the dog does something you don't want him to do. You correct him. Mm-hmm. and. It's a lot more to it than that. And this is a frustration and it's a frustration for a lot of people because they do take these sporting breeds and these working breeds and these herding breeds and they put them into situations where we've got hundreds or thousands of years of breeding that has created this animal to do this job. And now we are putting them into an urban situation or a home situation. And they don't get the opportunity to do the things that they were bred to do. And then you wonder why they're frustrated. And so, so being able to communicate, you have seen it with my dogs. And I think your dog, Loki, is a good example of the, the narrow focus that you can get from certain, certain high drive dogs. You've worked with some of my pointers and yeah, <laughs> they don't, if they're, once their mind is on something or once they're off leash, it's a whole different game because that's what they're built to do. I don't get mad when my dogs, when they start to stretch out because that's what they're built to do. And I need a way to, to communicate with them. And I always find it I don't know the right word for it. It's interesting because you'll see people that will say, well, I never have to correct my dog. I use tone and I use vibration and that's fine. I prefer to do the corrections and have the dog understand what they are because you're going to run into situations where tone and vibration may not get the job done, especially with certain high drive dogs. I've had some dogs that did not like vibration at all, and they would much rather get a a stimulation, get shocked versus getting a vibration. 
but it is a way to communicate with the dogs. And, and that, once again, I just don't know any other way to do that. Even, even verbal commands and whistle commands, they're just not reliable at certain distances and in certain weather conditions. I don't, there's always a debate on our side of the fence where how far out can a dog actually, if the wind's going a certain amount, if there's, if they're dealing with running water, if they're in a creek or river, if they're running through heavy brush, how well can they hear you? And so, but that tone or that vibration is reliable at extreme distances and stimulations the same way. So. Hey, let me tell everybody, your dogs humbled me. Oh. <laughs> your just, dogs that's are. Because they're knuckleheads. Intense, man. Intense. And, and yeah, my little terrier actually has, I've had six Malinois in my career and they don't stack up to this little terrier that I got that I pulled out of a shelter. Man, he's, talk about narrow focus. That dog, he's taken out, well, fortunately, a lot of rodents, a couple yeah. of snakes. Pop. I mean, and it's he's lightning. I don't even know it's there. And that dog sure. grabs something, it's done. And once he has killed it, he moves on. He's got no yeah. other focus in that thing at all. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, trying to control him if he's on something. Do I have him to the point where I have to use the collar every time at this point? Absolutely not. He's pretty right. dang reliable. He yeah. has learned through training. Had I hadn't used that tool as part of it, I, it's very possible I would have lost him with the kind of sure. hiking that I'd like to do. And I'm not a person that believes a dog should live his life on a leash or a long line. It's hard to be a dog when you're tethered to somebody all the time. It's very hard to do. And that's just not, and I think we've lost some touch with that as far as what, what being a dog actually is. And so that, so, so really, I guess really what we've, what we basically what we've said here is that, that it is off leash control is a big part of that. Yeah. I think I'm interested to see how you feel about this, but one of the things that I like about remote training collars is that to me, it's, they're very fair. In oh my that, gosh. Yeah. In that. We have a, if something's going on, I can base the correction off of the transgression and it takes a lot of the emotion about it. Uh, excuse me. It takes a lot of the emotion out of the, any other type of correction. So I don't know how you feel about that, but for me, it's very, it's, you can be very specific with it. Well, a hundred percent. And if there are people that don't have an understanding of remote callers and they don't understand the versatility of the dial, how it goes from nothing to obviously it can be really intense at the top. We're talking about very similar to a TENS unit. If anybody's had a TENS unit okay. in their life, when they turn that, I've had a lot of those treatments. And when they first turn that dial, they're like, do you feel it? No, I don't feel it. Do you feel anything? No, I don't feel it. They're turning the dial. They're using electricity on you. Sure. They're using a very similar thing as the static that we're using in a remote collar. And you so don't I feel anything. A TENS unit is, for those of y'all that, that haven't experienced the joy of a bad back or a muscle strain, or I have a personal one, I expect you do too. Oh, yeah. But yeah. it's electrical stimulation that's used to, to uh, I don't know exactly what it does for the muscles, but it's, you put these little, you put these pads onto where the problem is and it sends electrical current through you and you control it. And it feels, it's the exact same, it's the exact yep. same thing. Yeah, it feels, it feels wonderful. Now, that's because you're using a level that is appropriate for you. But when right. we start that, right, they got to figure out what's appropriate for the person that's using the TENS unit. And they always start at the bottom and they figure it out. And we do the same thing when we're starting with a dog. We figure out what's appropriate for them. What's appropriate changes for the dog depending on how distracted they are. 
just like what's appropriate when I have my TENS treatments changes depending on the level of discomfort or in my, in my, in my case, nerve damage in my legs after an accident where I couldn't feel anything. So the levels were a lot higher in the beginning because I couldn't use, I couldn't feel anything. They actually use this thing to help regenerate tissue oh. and help me heal. So that it's a healing modality. The fact that we take the same modality and put it on a dog and use it for a cueing device to communicate with the dog. And suddenly people are thinking, all oh, you're doing is out there shocking dogs. It's such a misnomer. I'm not saying that at a high level, obviously, right. that it can't be very startling. And I'm not saying there isn't a time and a place. Once in a while, I'll use pretty high aversive level for a dog that's well conditioned. If I need him to get off something right now, there's skunk or whatever it is, or he's running out toward right. a car, I will use pretty high aversive level. But that's after the dog is fully comprehending exactly how to respond to that sensation. It's not where we start. I think I went down on a rabbit hole here, Steve. I get passionate well, but, about this, but, but yes. there's a point that these are adjustable, that using them as a communication system, whether you want off-leash, whether you want reliability and impulse control, even if you have an urban dog who's on leash most of the time, I sure hope that dog is going to have the ability to go to a park, go to the beach, and he can be off of a retractable, and he can be off of a drag line, and he can actually play frisbee, yeah. go swim, and be a dog. There's so much value in teaching people how to use this thing and what they can provide for their dogs once they understand it. So let's talk a little bit about, we have an enormous amount of customers who they're using collars because they're dealing with dogs that are substantially larger and stronger than they are. So I've got a shepherd, she's probably 85 pounds, but I've got, I've got a 45 pound dog that I'm working right now and she could fly, she's probably not even 45, but you know, we're working on a leg repair. And so we're doing, we're doing roading where she's in a harness and she's digging and she's a hard dog to walk without something. So talk to me about, and talk to me about from a, I hate to be specific and say from a female side of it, but well, your daughter, Maddie has a dog that's awfully strong. He's just about weighs as much as her. She's yeah. a pretty petite little thing. Okay. And she's got a real good size Roddy. And he is a bulldozer. He's just immensely strong. I mean, it's a carding breed. That's what they're meant for. And she can do anything with him. Right. And it's partly because of this tool. So yeah, as far as physical disparities, it's a game changer. There's a couple of stories that I won't go into it in huge detail, but over the course of my career, one that I remember very specifically was an elderly couple. And it was actually their veterinarian that called me, reached out to me and said, Robin, can you go up and uh, can you help these folks? And so I went to their house. They were quite elderly. She was in her late seventies. He was in his early eighties. He was recovering from a recent surgery. So when I got there, he was just sitting in the chair. I walked into the house. She took me down the hallway and showed me the previous 10 German shepherds that they had. The whole hallway was lined with picture of dog number one, sure. dog number two, all the way to dog number 10. So they're on German shepherd number 11. Female, she was 11 months old. I'm like, well, where's the dog? And she goes, well, she's outside. We're going to go out there and see her. And I said, okay, now bear in mind, this was a late May appointment. I was out there and she goes to the closet. She pulls out a Carhartt pair of overalls and a Carhartt jacket. And I said, well, it's, it's actually pretty nice outside. I'm not sure you need that kind of gear. She goes, oh, I need it to get her out of her kennel. Ooh. And it was not that the dog was mean or anything else. Right. The dog was completely frustrated from lack of exercise. The dog is out there on the back feet, jumping, jumping, heads coming over the top of the six by 10. 
so excited barking. And of course, when we let the dog out, she's all over mom with the front feet and it's just in the mouthing of a puppy. And so we started working with the dog. I put her on a collar right away. It ended up being a really successful case. But the most pivotal moment was when this lady had a couple tears and she said, I didn't think at our age, at our advanced age, we we're going to be able to keep our dog. Right. And we've had all these German shepherds all our life. And here it is, Robin, you just saved us from having to rehome our dog. And it's so important to me because my husband recovering from this surgery wants this dog just to be in the house and be by his side. It, it Game changer. They could exercise the dog. And all we had to do was teach a recall, walk on a leash and a place command. Three behaviors. It took me about three weeks worth of work with them. Right. was a piece of cake. And now they live happily ever after with their dog. So when I have a lot of those stories, we have a lot of disabled handlers. I know a number of trainers that work with disabled veterans. Many of these dogs are on collars, not only because it's an equalizer in terms of strength, but because then they can let the dog be a dog and take them off leash when the dog doesn't have to do his job for him. So it gives the dog that that time off from his job in a safe fashion as well, because boy, that's a dog that that handler does not want to lose or have sure. run into the path of a car, right? Right. It's a game changer. So I think, and this really comes back to it because there aren't many situations where I don't feel like a collar can be used correctly. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say that you have to have one for every dog. I don't believe that's true, but I do believe that there is pretty much, I mean, I, there's just not really any situations where I'm like, okay, well, a collar would allow you to do this, would allow you to do that. It would give you some security. It would give you a more consistent way to be with your dog. It would be faster. It would be less pressure on the dog and it would allow you to do some things quicker. And I think that a lot of people, and this is really where you and I actually started talking to each other in that there's just an enormous amount of lack of understanding of the tool. Even what are we 50 years in? Maybe more than that, really. 70 is. Yeah, 70. Yeah. yeah. If you think about it. And, and there is, there's just an enormous amount of lack of understanding. Tell us a little bit about, so, so the way that we did it, the way that you and I got really connected is that we were selling products to customers that did not know how to use them. And that was frustrating for me from the standpoint that if I sell you something and you're not successful with it, then a large number of people are going to blame that on the tool. Well, these don't work. Well, it's not that they don't work. It's that you didn't understand how to use it. And so we, we worked with manufacturers for a long time trying to get manufacturers to do that. The problem with having manufacturers do it is that they didn't want to offend anybody because your technique is different from the next person's technique, which is different from the next person's technique. Um, I'm a very open-minded dog trainer, amateur dog trainer. I think you're a very, I think you're a very open-minded professional dog trainer from the standpoint that you're open to methods. You don't like restrictions in methods. And we never say this is the way to do it. We always say this is a way to do it. This is how we do it. This is what we're using. That We're successful with this. But so, so the reason that we got together in the first place was that we shot a video that is an intro to e-collars and how to use them. And give us a little bit of your take on that product. Every remote collar that we sell, that's a training collar. It comes with it. And we have a streaming option. But tell us a little bit about that particular product and how it gets people started. Well, yeah. And I was so honored really to be part of that project because yeah, my passion as well is it's a great tool, but it's misunderstood. And so in order to connect and do this project, the fact that you wanted to provide to people and education on something that you sell, that's above and beyond, I think, what most 
vendors are doing. So kudos on that. I mean, obviously, it's, well, it's just so above and beyond. But so what we did, the reality is I am not a trainer that is ashamed or afraid to show mistakes because that's reality. I am not perfect. I make mistakes. And sometimes dogs make me look like a fool. <laughs> and so when we started talking about this project, I don't know if you remember, and I know we agreed on it, but I was like, we got to show the real deal. Pull back the curtain. We got to show that this is not always going to go from point A to Z in a very linear fashion, but we're going to show the reality of how people fix all of these pieces with the collar. So when we took on the project, it was what are the basic things that anybody that gets a collar should know how to do? Um, let's teach a recall. Let's teach some very basic manners like stop some jumping, right? Let's get rid of a nuisance like that. Let's get the dog to come to us. Let's get a dog to walk on a loose leash. Let's stop some minor nuisance behaviors and let's teach one stationary behavior. And so we choose place for the stationary behavior and said, if we put this piece together, then A, we're going to give people enough knowledge that they can safely use this tool on their own. And B, we're going to be doing this in a way that's really fair to the dog because the process is systematic in that you don't just strap it on and expect the dog to know what to do. So we're showing people, here's how you guide the dog with a leash. Here's how you guide and influence the dog with the body language. Here's how you use lures and treats and rewards with this while you're incorporating the collar. And so putting that piece out has helped, I think, you know, based on the feedback I get, and I'm sure you get here a lot of it, has helped so many people that either didn't have any knowledge of how to use a collar. They've been able to do it. They've been able to resolve some problems with their dog, and they've been able to give the dog a fuller life. But what was interesting to me, Steve, when we put this out there is even some experienced folks that had been using collars for years reached out and said, hey, I learned an extra little tidbit or two that I didn't know before. So I really think we hit the mark in creating that very basic piece of information to give some people some education about how to use a remote collar. One of, one of my favorite things about your the technique that you use that is different from a lot of folks and extremely different in the sporting side of it or the hunting side of it is that, and I've always been frustrated by this, which is one reason why I like your technique. A lot of people will say, okay, when you buy your collar, you need to put it on your dog and not use it for, let the dog get used to it two to three weeks. And back, back, way back in the day, we used to have dummy collars and we'd start dogs on dummy collars. But you know, your technique is strap it on the dog and go. And, and that, I think my customers find that very refreshing because that's what they're going to do anyway. You just spent a couple of hundred dollars on this tool and you've got a dog that's already a problem. You don't want to spend six to eight weeks doing stuff and then start to make corrections. Yeah. And it's always interesting to me because we do get some comments from some folks that that's not the way that they train. And yeah. that's fine. I don't, I, I don't, once again, I don't say this is the way to do it. You have to do it this way. Okay. But it is a technique and it's something that you're taking dogs and this particular video shows that you shot this several years ago, but it shows some dogs of mine that had Tilly as a prime example. Tilly and Jack were a prime example of dogs that had very little obedience. And then you took those dogs and you were able to actually see dogs react for the first time. And you get to see how to find a level for your dog. And you get to see what's going to actually happen when you start pressing buttons. And the technique of going with that. Yeah. And so, so basically our goal with the whole thing, and that's, we even include, we include a long line and we include the training materials because you need those things to, to actually get started.
And, and I've always felt that our goal was to be successful with folks because just strictly from a business side, it cuts down on returns and it's people that are successful have a tendency to tell other people about their success. And so it's not just from our step, from a business side, it's one of those things we want people to be successful with the products because that's better for us. But, you know, from the other side of it is that I don't like selling something that, that doesn't give you some basic instructions. Now. You may not choose to use them. I know a lot of people that have it and that's fine. They already know what they're doing. It's not for, it's not for everybody. And that's fine. I don't mind mm -hmm. that at all. We sell a lot of collars to a lot of people that, that have been training for a lot longer than I have, or you have. And, and, but that's not what this is for. This is for the person that has never done it before. And they're nervous. I don't know if you prefer, I prefer a customer that when they're buying a collar for the first time to actually be a little hesitant about it. I don't know if you feel that way. I want them to, I, I never like the guy that shows up. It's like, I'm going to shock him into do it. This is, we run across those guys where they're yeah. happy and they, they're going about it the wrong way. I prefer a customer that's a little hesitant about it because I want them to, to learn and then work their way into it. And this tool gives us that option because this training, because it teaches you how to use the product. Yeah. I think that's, what's interesting about the kind of the business partnership we've built here is your experience and the lens you're looking through is, was vastly different than the lens I was looking through. My clients have always been super hesitant about this. Sure. My clients have always come from that, oh my gosh, I don't want to use the shock collar, but I think I'm going to have to. I've heard you're right. the person that I can help. So they've always had that hesitancy. I've had to work very hard to help people understand it's okay to push the button. We're going to push the button at a level that just gets the dog's attention. He's not going to be screaming. He's not going to be startled. He's not going to panic. You're going to see something that you really don't even expect. You're going to see such a subtle response and the dog's actually just going to start to tune into you, pay attention, and we're going to get him starting to do these behaviors that you want. So it's, it has been a really good opportunity to educate. That's why I said, I think it's very interesting that we get a lot of people that have no experience that are finding great value in this, but we are getting a few of those old timers who go, oh, I never really thought about sure. doing it that way. That's very interesting. And I do feel the same way as you do, Steve. If somebody doesn't want to do it that way, if that's not their way, if people have told me, well, that's not the right way, you know what? I, I'm okay with that. I got a pretty sure. thick skin. It's my way. It works for me. It works for my pet owners. And if people don't want to use a collar, that's okay with me too. What's not okay is telling people that they shouldn't use it, that it's cruel, that it's unfair, that there's other ways to achieve it. Then, you know what? Then more power to you. Go make a DVD, show people how to achieve the same level of success. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much. I thought this was a good take on it. Well, I enjoyed speaking with you on it, and we'll be back to talk a little bit more about it down the road. Thanks for joining us. For more information or to purchase Robin's online dog training programs, visit ecollars.com. This is Robin McFarland's eCollar Training. This video series takes a systematic approach to eCollar use from introduction to off-leash control. Three dogs of varying personalities were adopted from a shelter environment and trained daily over the course of three weeks. This series captures the real-time footage starting from day one of introducing the e-collar and progresses to the point of off-leash control and working around real-world distractions. Robin takes you step-by-step -step through the process of laying a foundation, solving common problems, 
working through distractions, and graduating to off-leash freedom. The systematic approach and detailed instruction is designed specifically with the novice e-collar user in mind, but even experienced trainers will find a gem or two to add to the training toolbox. Each of the dogs in this video series, Grace, Brandy, and Bonnie, started training within 72 hours of being adopted from a shelter environment. What you will see is real-time training sessions, not special editing or previously trained dogs. Watch dogs with different temperaments being worked through challenges toward the goal of off-leash control and a greatly improved relationship with their handler. Robin's e-collar instructional materials are clear, concise, and never sacrifice the physical or emotional well-being of the dog. With this training, your dog will be calmer, more controlled, and be able to experience the joy of off-leash freedom. If you've longed to be able to trust your dog off-leash, but don't have the confidence to start training with an e-collar, this video series is for you. Any dog owner that is interested in learning an easier way to communicate with their dog while gaining off-leash reliability will benefit from this DVD series. This five disc set will take you step by step through the process from starting the training and finding a level up through working around distractions and being ready to go off-leash.